Chapter Ten of Agincourt, a Romance by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Minstrel's Girl. At the hour appointed by the king, Richard of Woodville arrived at the palace and was at once introduced to Henry's presence. The monarch was now quite alone and seemed in a more cheerful, a less meditative mood than the day before. Well, Richard, he said. "'How sped you last night? "'You found a room in hall and a place at board, I trust.' "'I did, sire,' replied Woodville, "'and so long as I was here, twas well. "'But as I returned homeward to my hostel, "'I saw that done which grieved me, "'and would grieve your highness too, were it told.' "'Speak it, speak it,' said the king. "'I am now in that station where every day "'I must hear that which offends my ear, "'if I will perform the first duty of a king,' "'and render justice to my people. "'What is this you saw?' "'Briefly and accurately, Richard of Woodville, "'as he had previously determined, "'related to the monarch the facts "'attending the death of the old minstrel "'by the brutal act of Sir Simeon of Roydon "'and his companions. "'And he could see Henry's brow gather into a heavy frown "'and his cheek flush. "'When he had done, the king rose from his chair "'before he spoke,' "'and walked twice across the small chamber "'in which the young gentleman had found him. "'This is bad,' he said at length. "'This is bad, but I must not interfere with the course of law. "'The matter will be inquired into, of course. "'If the law should not punish the offence, "'I might myself inflict some chastisement, "'and by banishing this man from my court and presence "'mark my indignation at his rash contempt of human life "'and suffering, to call it nothing worse.' "'But I have other views, Richard, and if I must strike, I would have it effectually.' "'I do not understand you, sire,' replied Woodville, seeing that the king paused. "'No, perhaps not,' said Henry, and then falling into a fit of musing again, he remained for more than a minute with his eyes fixed upon the ground. "'Call me a page,' he continued at length. "'I will see this Sir Simeon of Roydon.' Richard of Woodville obeyed, and when the boy appeared— Henry directed him in the clear, brief words with which even trivial orders are given by men of powerful and accurate minds to inquire of the sergeant of the gates where Sir Simeon of Roydon was to be found, and then to summon him immediately to his presence. He shall make some compensation to the old man's daughter, or whoever she is, whatever the law may say, the king continued, turning to his companion after having spoken to the page. But tell me, Richard, "'Was this the only adventure you met with yesterday? "'Ned Dyram told me that someone had spoken to you by name in the crowd, "'bidding you not to let poor Dacre do battle with Simeon of Roydon. "'She anticipated my commands, it would seem.' "'She did so, truly, sire,' replied Woodville, "'but I could never discover who it was, "'though she again spoke to me at the gates of the convent as I came out.' "'It is very strange,' said the king. "'Did you not know the voice?' "'It seemed somewhat disguised,' answered the young gentleman, "'but still it was clearly a woman's voice, "'and there were tones in it not unfamiliar to my ear, "'yet not sufficiently strong on recollection "'to, to enable me in any way to judge who spoke. "'Have we got fairies amongst us, even in Westminster?' "'asked the monarch, laughing. "'Well, my good friend, you have nothing to do "'but obey your fair monitor.' "'In that I shall not fail, sire,' replied Richard, "'for I shall have no cause to prevent or encourage Dacre. 
Simeon of Roydon will take good heed to that, but I trust neither the lady nor your highness will forbid my chastising this man myself, if need should be, for, as I have told you, sire, I cast him from his horse last night before his comrades, and he will seek revenge in some shape, I am sure. To defend himself is every man's right, replied the king, but I must insist that no arranged encounter takes place between you and Sir Simeon of Royden without your sovereign's consent. The king spoke sternly, almost harshly, but he added a moment after in a mild and familiar tone, the truth is, Richard, that I have resolved, as much as possible, to put a stop both to the trial by battle and combats as outrance between my subjects. The blood of Englishmen is too precious to their king and their country to be shed so frequently as it has hitherto been in private quarrels. The evil is increasing, and if it not be stayed, a time will come when every idle jest will be the subject of a combat, and the man of mere brute courage will venture upon any wrong he chooses to do another, because he values his life less than his neighbour. Such a state shall never grow up under me. The day may not be far distance when, in defence of the rights of this crown, I shall give every English gentleman an opportunity of displaying his valour and his skill. But, till then, I will hold a strong hand over quarrelsome folks. As a last resort for honour really wounded, or under the sanction of the law, for the judgment of God in dark cases which human wisdom cannot decide, I may consent that an appeal be made to the lance, but not till every other means has been tried. Such is my resolution. Let that suffice you. I know you will obey, and in the court of Burgundy, if I hear right, you will have plenty of occasions, should you be too full of blood, to shed it freely. I have wished to give you some gift, my friend, he continued, in a tone of kindly condescension, but for the present I can think of nothing better than this. He took a ring from his finger and held it out to the young gentleman who stood beside him, adding, Take it, Richard, wear it always, and when you look upon it, think of Hall of Hadnock. But should you at any time seek aught of the King of England, seal your letter with that ring, and I will open and read the contents myself, and immediately. It shall go hard, but I will grant you a boon, if it be such as the Richard of Woodville, whom I know, is likely to request. So farewell, and God speed you, and lead you to honour. Richard of Woodville knelt and kissed the gracious prince's hand, and then, retiring from his presence, sped back to his inn without adventure. All traces of the last day's festival had disappeared, the citizens had resumed their usual occupations, the artisan had gone to his work, the merchant to his warehouse, the tradesman to his stall, the monk to his cloister, the priest to his chapel or his church. The streets, though there was many a passenger hurrying to and fro, seemed almost empty by comparison, and a scene that was in itself gay looked dull from the want of all the glitter and pageantry of the preceding afternoon. The inn, called the Acorn, at which Richard of Woodville had taken up his abode, was a low building, in what we still term the Strand, between the cross at Charing and a very small monastery, which was soon after attached to the Abbey of Roncesvalles in Navarre, and acquired the name of Roncesvalles. The entrance to the acorn was a tall, dark arch, and as soon as Richard of Woodville rode in, followed by his two attendants, 
for Ned Dyram he had not seen since the day before. The host presented himself, saying, with a low reverence and a smile, "'There has been a fair maid seeking you, Mogul, sir. There have been many tears in her eyes, too, full lately. I hope you are not a faithless squire to make the pretty maiden weep.' "'Poor thing, she has good cause,' answered Woodville gravely. "'She is the poor old man's daughter, I suppose, who was killed by the horses last night. "'When did she say she would return?' "'She is here now, she is here now,' cried the host's wife from within. "'How can you be such a fool, Jenkin? "'I took her in till the noble gentleman returned. "'I knew she was no lighter love, but only came from foreign lands.' "'I never said she was, good wife,' replied her husband. "'Shall I bring her up, sir, to your chamber?' "'No,' answered Richard. "'It wants an hour of dinner yet. "'Let her come with me to the hall, if it be vacant.' "'That it is, discreet sir,' replied the host. "'Now I warrant you,' he continued, murmuring to himself, "'as he walked away to call the poor girl to her kind benefactor. "'He has got some lady-love himself, "'and fears it should come to her ears.' were he to entertain a pretty maiden in his own chamber. Perhaps some such thought might pass through Richard of Woodville's mind, but certainly it would never have entered therein, had it not been for the host's first suspicion, and he would have received the poor girl in his own room without hesitation, though the minstrels of that day and their followers were generally a somewhat dissolute and licentious race. It has happened strangely, indeed, in all ages, that those who follow as their profession the sweetest of arts, music, which would seem intended to elevate and purify the mind and heart, should so frequently obnoxious to the charge of immoral life. But so it has been, alas, though difficult to account for. Finding his way through one or two long ill-lighted passages, Richard of Woodville opened the door of the room appropriated to the daily meals of the guests and their host, and had not long to wait for the object of his compassion. She was not dressed in the same manner as the night before, but still her garb was singular. A bright red scarf, which had been twined through her black hair, was no longer there, and the rich, luxuriant tresses were bound plainly round her head, which was partially covered also by a hood of simple grey cloth. The rest of her apparel was white, except at the edge of the petticoat, which came not much below the knee, and was bordered by two bands of gold lace. Her small, delicate ankles, as fair as alabaster, were, nevertheless, without covering, and her feet were clothed in small slippers of untanned leather, trimmed and tied with gold. Bending down her beautiful head as she entered, she said, "'I have come to thank you, noble sir.' "'Nay, no thanks, my fair maiden,' answered Woodville, placing a stool for her to sit." as the host retired. I did but what any Christian and gentleman ought to do, so say not a word of that. But I am glad you have come, for I wish much to hear more of you, and to know what will become of you now. Ah, oh, what indeed, said the girl, casting down her eyes, which had before been fixed upon the young gentleman's countenance. Have you no friends, no home, to which you can go? asked Woodville. "'In this country, no friends that would receive me, "'no home that would be open to me,' replied the girl, "'the tears rolling over the long black lashes "'and trickling down her cheek. "'I am not given to yield to sorrow thus,' she added. "'Had I been, it would have crushed me long ago. "'But this last blow has been heavy, 
and like a reed beaten down by the storm i shall not raise my head till the sun shines again but you are of english birth inquired richard of woodville if not you speak our tongue rarely oh yes i am english she cried eagerly english in heart in spirit and birth but yet my mother was from a distant land and was that poor old man your father demanded her companion come let me hear something of your former life that i may think what can be done for the future the girl evidently hesitated she coloured and then turned pale and richard of woodville began to fear that in the interest he had taken in her he had been made the fool of imagination she is probably like the rest he thought and yet her very shame to speak it shows that she has some good feelings left but while he was still pondering the girl exclaimed clasping her hands oh yes i am sure i may tell you you are not one who whatever might be his errors would deprive a poor old man of blessed ground to rest in or the prayers of good men for his soul not i indeed replied the young gentleman methinks we have no right to carry justice or punishment beyond the grave when the spirit is called to its creator let him be the judge not man but speak i do not understand you clearly i will make my tale short she answered the old man was my father's father a minstrel once in the house of the great earl of northumberland i can just remember the earl and a gay and happy household it was he was well paid and much loved by the good lord and wealthy by his bounty my father was stout and tall a brave man and skilful in arms and he was the percy's henchman once when the earl's kinsman went to the court of the emperor my father was sent with him i have heard and he returned with my mother a native of a town called innsbruck in the mountains i know not whether you have heard of it but it is a fair city in good truth you have seen it then asked richard of woodville not a year since answered the girl but to my tale when i was still young my father fought and fell with hotspur and not long after the duke's household was dispersed and he himself obliged to fly to wales or scotland i know not which my mother pined and died for the people there loved not a stranger amongst them and after my father's death called her naught but the foreigner they laughed too at her language for she could speak but poor english and what between their gibes and her own grief she withered away daily till her eyes closed she taught me her own language however and i have not forgot it she taught me her own faith too and i have not abandoned it and that was exclaimed richard the holy catholic faith replied the girl crossing herself and nothing has ever been able to turn me from it but still i could not let it break all bonds could i noble sir perhaps not replied richard of woodville but let me hear farther when the earl fled and my mother died continued the girl my grandfather took me with him to the town of york and as he was wealthy as i have said his kinsfolk who were many in the place were glad to see him he was very kind to me oh how kind and taught me to sing and play on many instruments but there came a disciple of wycliffe into the town where there were already many lollards in secret and the poor old man listened to them and became one of them i would not hear them for i ever thought of my mother and what she had taught me and this caused the first unkind words my grandfather ever gave me 
He mourned them afterwards, when he found I was not undutiful, as he had called me. But in the meantime he went on with the Lollards, till, one night, as they were coming from a place where they had met, a crowd of rabble and loose people set upon them with sticks and stones, and beat them terribly, and the poor old man was brought home with his face and eyes sadly cut. Some of the Lollards were taken, and two were tried and burnt as heretics, but my grandfather escaped that fate, for by this time his eyes had become red and fiery, and he kept close to his own house. The redness at length went away, but light went too, and he was in daily fear of persecution. One night, when he was very sad, I asked him why he stayed in York, where there were so many perils, but he shook his head and answered, "'Because I am sightless, my child, and I have none to guide me.' Then I asked him again if he had not me, and if he thought I would not go with him to the world's end, and I found by what he said that he had long thought of going to foreign lands, but did not speak of it, because he thought that, as I would not hear his people, I would refuse to go. When he found I was ready, however, his mind was soon made up, and we first went to a town called Liège, where he had a brother, and there we lived happily enough for some time. For that brother and all his family thought on many matters with him, but he heard of a man named Huss, who is a great leader of that sect in a country called Bohemia, and he resolved to go thither, as he was threatened with persecution in Liège. We then wandered far and wide, through strange lands, but why should I make my tale long? We suffered many things, were plundered, wronged, persecuted, beaten, and a money that he had began to melt away with no resource behind, for we had heard that our own relations and friends in York had pillaged his house, and one had taken possession of it as his own. I then proposed to him that I should sing at festivals and tournaments, that we might keep the little he still had against an evil day. Thus we came through Germany and Burgundy, and part of France and Brabant, and at length he determined that he would come back to his own country, which he did, only to be murdered last night, for we have not been a month in England. Alas, my poor girl, said Richard of Woodville, yours is indeed a sad history, and in truth I know not what counsel to give you for the future. Alone as you are in the world, you need someone much to protect you. I do indeed, replied the girl, but I have none, and yet, she added after a moment, these are foolish thoughts brought upon me but by grief. I can protect myself. Many have a worse fate than I have, for how often are those who have been softly nurtured cast suddenly into misfortune and distress? I have been inured to it by degrees, taught step by step to struggle and resist. Mine is not a heart to yield to evil chances. The little that I want in life, I trust, I can honestly obtain. If not honestly, why, I can die. There is still a home for the wanderer. There is still a place of repose for the weary. But as she spoke, the tears that rolled over her cheeks belied the fortitude which she assumed. Richard of Woodville paused and meditated ere he replied. Stay, he said at length, as the girl rose and covered her head again with her hood, which she had cast back as if she were about to depart. Stay, a thought has struck me. Perchance I can call the king's bounty to you. I myself am now about to depart for distant lands. 
I am going to the court of Burgundy in a few days, and shall not see our sovereign again before I set out. But I have a servant who was once the king's, and he will have the means of telling your sad tale. To the court of Burgundy? exclaimed the girl eagerly. Oh, that I were going thither with you. That may hardly be, replied Woodville with a smile, as she gazed with her large brown eyes upon his face. I know it, she answered, sighing, and cast her eyes down to the ground again, with the blood mounting into her cheek. Yet, why not in the same ship? I have kinsfolk both in Liège and in Peronne. You would not see wrong done to me. Assuredly not, said the young gentleman, but if the king can be engaged to show you kindness, it will be better. What little I can spare, my poor girl, shall be yours, and I will send this man of whom I spoke to see you and tell you more. First, however, you must let me know where you are lodged, and for whom he must ask, as it may be three or four days before he returns from the errand he is now gone to perform. My name is Ella Brune, replied the girl, and she went on to describe to Richard of Woodville the situation of the house in which she and her grandfather had taken up their abode on their arrival in London a few days before. He found from her account that it was a small hostel just within the walls of the city, which the old man had known and frequented in former years, that the host and his good dame were kind and homely people, and that, though the poor girl had remained out watching the corpse at the lodge of the convent, she had returned that morning to explain the cause of her absence, and had been received with sympathy and consolation. Knowing well, however, that there is a limit to the tenderness of most innkeepers, and that that limit is seldom, if ever, extended beyond the length of their guest's purse, the young gentleman took three half-nobles, which, to say truth, was as much as he could spare, and offered them to his fair companion, saying, "'Trouble yourself not in regard to expenses of the funeral, Ella, or of the masses. The porter of the convent has been here this morning, before I went out, and I have arranged all that with him. The girl looked at the money in his hand with a tearful eye and a burning cheek, but after gazing for a moment she put his hand gently away, saying, No, no, I cannot take it. From you I cannot take it. And why not from me? asked Richard of Woodville in some surprise. She hesitated for an instant and then replied, Because you have been so good and kind already. Were it from a stranger, I might, but you have already given me much, paid much, and you shall not hurt yourself for me. I have enough. Nay, nay, Ella, said Richard with a smile. If I have been kind, that is a reason why you must not grieve me by refusing the little I can give. As to what I have paid, I will say to you, with little John, whom you have heard of, I have done thee a good turn for Anne. Quit me when thou may. And what did Robin answer, said the girl, a light coming into her eyes as she forgot, for an instant, her loss and her desolate situation in the struggle of generosity which she kept up against her young benefactor? Nay, by my troth, said Robin, so shall it never be. It must be, if you would not pain me, replied Richard of Woodville. You must not be left in this wide place, my poor girl, without friend or money. Nay, but I have enough, she answered. If I were tempted to take it, would only be with the thought of crossing the sea, which costs much money, I know. Then take it for that chance, my poor Ella, replied Woodville, forcing the money into her hand, and tell me what store you have got, in order that, if I have aught more to spare, 
when I have received what my copsewood brings, I may send it to you by the servant I spoke of. Indeed, I know not, said Ella Brune. There is a small leathern bag at the inn in which we used to put all that we gathered, but I thought not to look what it contained. My heart was too heavy when I went back to reckon money. But there is enough to pay all that we owe, I know, and as for the time to come, she added with a melancholy smile, I eat little and drink less, so that my diet is soon paid. Her words and manner had that harmony in them, which can rarely be attained when both do not spring from the heart. And Richard of Woodville became more and more interested in the fair object of his kindness every moment. He detained her some time longer to ask farther questions, but at length the host opened the door and told him there was a young man without who sought to speak with him. This interruption terminated his conversation with Ella Brune, for, drawing her hood farther still over her face, she again rose, took his hand, and pressed her lips upon it. "'The blessing of the Queen of Heaven be upon you, noble sir,' she said, and then passed through the door, at which the landlord still stood, wondering a little at the deep gratitude which she seemed to feel towards his young guest. End of chapter 10